Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, I said we're in this series called Lost and Found, and for the past couple weeks, we've read these verses in Luke 15, 1 through 2, and we've talked about how these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, these religious professionals and elites that we find here that are, that are with Jesus, they were frustrated by Jesus, and, and we can hear that in their words. It says that they muttered, and so you can almost kind of imagine the scene as they're together. Jesus is sitting down at this table in in that time period, more reclining together, eating together. And these Pharisees, these teachers of the law are in this space with him. But then among them, there are these tax collectors and these sinners who are gathering around to hear Jesus as well, to listen to him speak. And then it tells us that these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, these religious professionals, these elites that really thought they were above everybody else when it came to understanding who God was and the relationship that he wanted with humanity, the calling that he had for our lives. They they were really so hypocritical in the way that they looked at things. And they were very exclusionary of others. They thought they were in and everybody was out because nobody could be as righteous as they could be. But the difference was, the issue here was that they set their own rules. And when you set your own rules about who is righteous, the only person that can end up being the most righteous is you. And everybody else gets excluded. Which is why we're not busy, we, don't, we shouldn't make ourselves busy setting the rules. So we believe in grace and mercy and compassion and love. That's why we believe in the message and the good news of Jesus. It's good news for everyone. And so these elites were frustrated by Jesus. They, they saw who he welcomed to the table to eat with him. And they despised these tax collectors. They despised these sinners. And they didn't think they had a place at the table. Listen to that again. It says that they muttered. And you can like, it's such a great word. I love that they translated with that word. They muttered and we've all been there. We've all been in that situation. We've all been in that place. We've all been in that moment where we kind of look over and go, can you believe this? Ugh muttering. We went to a baseball game and uh, we were sitting in these seats and there was this guy in front of us and man, he was having this great time. And I don't want to peek out the audio today, so I'm not going to do that. But this guy, I mean, he was yelling the whole time and he was actually pretty funny, but like he was just yelling and yelling and yelling. And we're looking over just going, I am going to hear this guy in my sleep for the rest of my life. And that's kind of the muttering, right? And that's what we hear here. We hear these guys are looking at these people and they're just muttering. But instead of just kind of being like, oh man, this guy's out, they were disgusted. They were angry. A lot of us have been in that place before. There have been people that we look at and just go, oh man. And that's what's going on here. They despise these people. Now, why did they despise them? Well, we found out, we found out the tax collectors were people from that local community who collected taxes for the conquering Romans. So automatically, you see people from a local community collecting taxes for a conquering people. You think to yourself, these people are really traitors, and that's how they thought of them. But it was more than that. What they would do is they would actually charge more tax, and they would skim off the top at some higher rate. So what they were really doing was that they were, they were exercising a ton of injustice on the people around them, their people. 
So they were just really just awful in terms of how they treated others around them, getting rich, using their greed to get wealthy off of other people as they collected taxes for these conquering people. Now, sinners then was a more general category of people who just struggled to stay in these impossible boundaries of rules and laws that the Pharisees had created for their own righteousness. And like I said, it's easy to think of others as unclean and unrighteous when you set the rules. And that's what the Pharisees had done to these people. So these tax collectors, these sinners, are treated horribly by Pharisees and teachers of the law. But then we see that Jesus treated the tax collectors and the sinners differently. It says that Jesus ate with them. And then, after hearing the whispers of disgust at his approach. Because see, remember, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, are looking at the way that Jesus interacts with these people. They're muttering because he was willing to eat with them, to welcome them in. And so, so Jesus can hear this. He, he hears them muttering about this. He hears how disgusted they are. And when he hears these whispers at the way that he approached these people, he told three parables as, as lessons for the sinners and the tax collectors and for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, the first parable focused on a lost sheep. And Jesus used that parable to remind the sinners and tax collectors, like the sheep, they didn't have to earn God's love like they were taught. They didn't have to earn Jesus' respect like they expected. What they found is that they were the ones being sought out, looked for, and celebrated when they were found because they were being welcomed into a banquet, a party, a celebration of God's love and grace. Maybe you've been in that place. Maybe you're in that place right now. Maybe you recognize that you have a lot in common with that lost sheep. You're about as far away from God as you could possibly be. And what this parable says is, listen, God is searching for you. He's seeking you out. He wants to bring you back and he leaves the other 99 to come and look for you. You don't have to earn him seeking you out. You, you, you don't gain, you, you don't have to do anything, but he is the one seeking you. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. God's love is so abundant that he already loves you so much that he seeks you out. Now, the second parable focused on a lost coin. Jesus used this parable to remind the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that everyone has value. The lost coin we found was part of a headdress, and even without that one coin, it was incomplete. It's most likely, it's a possibility that that's the case, but either way, we don't really know the details of that. That's one theory, that's one understanding, one possibility. But even way, just that coin being lost, she was doing everything she could to find that coin because it had so much value. It would have been considered a whole day's wage, and you would do anything to search for a day's wage if you lost it, right? We're so lucky in our world today because typically what happens is things get just dropped right into our bank account. But in this case, it was like being handed a check. It was being handed the cash. You put that cash in your pocket, being to walk around, somehow it falls out. You don't know where it went, but it's an entire day's wage. You can begin to think about all the things that you need to do with that money. And for people who were living from day to day and day to day to look for that, she, she's freaking out looking all over the place for it. Well, Jesus is saying that even if one of those coins is missing, the whole is incomplete. 
And he's telling us to use every resource to seek out the lost in our world. She did everything she could. She was lighting lamps. She was searching. She was doing all of these things. Lighting that lamp meant she was spending money just to look for that coin. So she was using every resource she could to find that coin. And we don't get to place value on others like we so often do. All of humanity has value in the kingdom of God. And so we, like this woman, and like God, what we learn here that Jesus says God is doing is we should search. We should celebrate in the same way when that lost coin is found. And so Jesus is telling these teachers of the law, he's telling these Pharisees, listen, God is out here searching, seeking for the lost. You won't even look. You won't even celebrate. He says the way that we're supposed to be is we're supposed to search and we're supposed to celebrate like that. And then Jesus concluded with a third parable or a story. This one is probably the most well-known of these three stories and we typically call it the prodigal son. As we close up this lost and found teaching series, I want to look at this story. I want to see how in a lot of ways it sums up the first two stories but it also kind of retells something and it speaks to the people sitting at the day sitting at the table that day with Jesus. It speaks to the people who were muttering, these teachers of the law and these Pharisees, and it challenges us and how we approach our world and how we share the good news of Jesus. So let's listen to this third and final parable in Luke 15, 11 through 24. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him in his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. I will go back to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and killed it and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The fattened calf was set aside for the biggest parties. And this would have been a huge party because the son that went missing had come home. So like the sheep and the coin, the one seeking in this story, the father was overjoyed that he had found this lost son. He had come 
home. Now, this is really cool. The father heard the announcements of uh, the announcement of repentance from his son. And as I was reading this, I was thinking about this. If we go back a little bit, we see that when he came to his senses, he said, hey, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? You know what? I'll go back and, and here's what I'll say to him. And he begins to recite this. And we've all done this at different times. We've all recited the things that we're going to say before we're going to go see somebody, right? And we're, maybe we're going to go ask for forgiveness like he's going to ask. And so we recite and we begin to think about how that conversation is going to go. And we usually begin to think, I'm going to get all of these words out. And then here is how this person is going to respond. Here is how we expect them to respond to what we're going to do. And that's what he's doing in this moment. And so listen what he said. He says, I'll go back to my father. I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and you. And you can almost imagine him looking in a mirror and saying this. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And, and listen, make me like one of your hired servants. And that was probably his big line. He had these three things that he says. He gets to this point and he says, and make me like one of your servants. So he really thinks this is going to be the punchline. This is going to be the powerful moment. So he goes to his father. He begins to recite these things. And did you notice what happens here? His father cuts him off. He hears this repentance from him, but he didn't focus on it any longer than hearing the words. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he can say, make me like one of your hired servants, the father is already celebrating. He, he's, all, he's heard the words, but he's already moved past to the celebration. It's enough that he came home and said, Father, I'm sorry. And that's it. And his father begins to celebrate. He says, nothing else. You don't have to do anything else. You have come home. That is enough. He immediately pivoted to celebration. And God immediately pivots to celebration when we come home. In that celebration, then we see three things that this son receives, three things representing grace and forgiveness. The robe that he gave him was a way to show that he was being clothed with something new. All those dirty rags that he had traveled in were gone. The robe also represents that he was home, that he could rest, and we know that feeling. He gets this fresh new robe. He's clean. He can relax. He can find comfort in that family. Last week, we were able to celebrate baptisms right outside here, and uh, it was an incredible opportunity. In those baptisms, we talk about what that represents, that in that moment, what we're saying is, what, what we're saying is, hey, I believe, and what I'm doing in this moment is I'm publicly declaring that I believe. I'm publicly declaring that I have been made new. And then as I go in the water, I'm saying, look, the, the, the way that I could have lived, the way that I did live, this old way of being, that is gone. And this newness of life that we find in Jesus, this new way of living that he teaches us, that I have accepted that reality. I'm a part of his family. I'm home. And so we celebrate with other people in that moment. In that moment, we say, I'm home. We have been saved by our faith in Jesus. And that baptism represents us cheering out loud and saying, look, I have come home. And others celebrate with us as they see in that moment 
this incredible reality. Baptism is this celebration, this public declaration of the faith that we have. And so that's what we see here, this robe represents. He's new. Then he gets a ring, and the ring, it represented a position in his family. He had a role to play regardless of the past that he was leaving behind. And we've talked about this, that all of us have a role to play in the kingdom of God. All of us have a role to play in the mission and the vision God has given us to bring good news to this world, to live out the way of Jesus in this world, to do everything we can to make the reality of heaven present in our world today. We have a role to place, and that's what he's saying there. And then in the sandals signified that he was fully restored into the life of the family. Now, Jesus told this part about the prodigal son for the sinners and the tax collectors. Jesus saw them. He invited them home. He was ready to celebrate. They were forgiven, and they were welcome. But Jesus told a second part to this parable. And the second part of the parable was told for the benefit of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And I want you to see this because we could easily stop at this point and say, well, that's the end of the parable. That's it. It's over. What a great, what a great reality for us to see here in this moment. That as sinners, as we come home, that our heavenly father is celebrating us, welcoming us back saying, come and walk with me, experience the newness of life. We could just end the story there. But remember, Jesus, in these parables, in the sheep and the lost coin, he spoke to the sinners and the tax collectors. He spoke to the teachers of the law and to the Pharisees. He taught them some different things through that. And he does the same thing here. So he splits this in half. And he doesn't end the story here. So everybody listening is going, oh, great story. And what a great conclusion. And then Jesus says, well, hang on a second. There's an epilogue here that I want to tell you about. And he does this for the benefit of these teachers, the law, these Pharisees to hear. Because in this story then, where the sinners and the tax collectors are represented by the son, the first son, the second son, the second son is a metaphor for these teachers of the law and these Pharisees. And it's in the second part that I want to spend the most of the remainder of our day today. Luke 15, 25 through 30. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. So meanwhile, while all of this is going on, while the celebration was taking place, while, while the son was coming back, while the father was running to the son, while he was putting the robe and the ring and the sandals on him, while the celebration was taking place, it says, Meanwhile, while all of this is happening, the older son was out in the field. Now listen to what it says. When he came near the house, so when he heard the commotion, he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? The servant said, your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he hasn't baked back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Man, you can hear the anger in his voice. Just the things that he says. I mean, truly, just 
awful language when you think about that what what he's saying about his brother what he's saying about his father it's just it's just really ugly but when we're told how the other brother felt we hear all these different things that maybe we've felt before in his words in his anger in the things that he said you can hear greed You, you can hear envy in those words you can hear jealousy you can hear resentment I think it's interesting that he begins to call out. He even says, well, here's what he did with your money. He has no idea. He is so angry that he's just grabbing anything that he can to say, this is what happened. This is who he is. But look at me. He's projecting a lot of ways. He's saying, I wouldn't do that. He would. I wouldn't do that. Can you hear it? You can hear the greed and the envy, the jealousy, resentment, and we've all felt this way at different times in our lives if we're honest with ourselves. See, maybe you felt this way when your team lost a huge game and you were struggling to celebrate with the other team. That one doesn't seem as important, but maybe there's some other ones. What about this one? Maybe when someone else got a promotion. Maybe you felt some greed or some envy, jealousy, or resentment. When a new car pulled into your neighbor's driveway. See, there's another side of the prodigal son's story, and that's where this shows up. We've all had moments that we've looked around and we said, I deserve that. Why didn't I get that? Why, why did they get to be like this? I, I don't get that. I did all the right things. How many of us, now let's be honest, how many of us felt like that during this pandemic at some point in the past few years? We looked and said, hey, I did all the right things. Why did they get that? Why did they get to celebrate? So we've all been there at different times. We've all been there in different places. We've all felt that anger and that resentment over others. The older brother made all the right decisions. Yet it's his younger brother, the prodigal son, who was celebrated. But I want you to see something. We don't even get to his whining before we see the true problem. And I mean that. It's really whining. And that's what it really sounds like. A lot of us think that when we're muttering to others about what we deserve, what I should get, how I should be, and when I'm talking about this, guys, I'm talking as just to myself as I'm talking to you. One of the things that I try to do is when I'm preaching or teaching a lesson, I want to learn it for myself and see the things that I'm being just as guilty of because there's no way to teach if I haven't learned and experienced something here. And I've been in this same place, muttering to others saying, it's not fair. Why do they get that? I deserve that too. And we've all been there, but it's whining. I mean, the other person on the other side should look at us and go, stop whining. Who cares? Do, do something else. Figure it out, right? But we don't even have to get there to see the real problem. Listen to Luke 15 and 25 to 26. Listen to what it says. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Now listen, do you see this? Unlike his father, the older brother wasn't even searching for the younger son. He he wasn't even looking for him. If we go back to the story, we see that that it says that, so he went, he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, it says in verse 20, it says, after he was, he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion. So, so the son was way down the road. 
still coming, and his father saw him. His father had never given up the search. He was always looking, always waiting. Even while he's doing his work, he's still looking for the son. But the older brother isn't anything like his father. He, he wasn't even searching for his younger brother. He was so busy with his own stuff. And I think that's part of why Jesus told this parable. See, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were so focused on themselves that they had completely lost sight of the reality of those around them. They were so focused on their own stuff that they didn't even see what was happening to the people around them. They were so focused on their own righteousness, setting their own boundaries, setting, creating their own perfect place, that they were missing the painful reality of everybody else that they had excluded. Their circle had gotten smaller and smaller and smaller because they failed to invite the people around them to experience the grace and the goodness of God. Listen to that again. Their circle had gotten smaller and smaller and smaller because they were so busy, so focused on their own stuff that they failed to invite anyone around them to experience the grace and the goodness of God. And if we're not careful, we can become just like the older brother. If we're not careful, our faith can become a fortress and the church can become a clique when we become preoccupied with our own stuff. When we become so focused on the things that only matter to us, when we think that all of this is, that this is just for me, for my experience, if we say this is all about my journey and my story and only the things that matter to me, our faith becomes a fortress and our church becomes a clique. And I'm not sure there can be anything any more disappointing to God than that. And that's what Jesus is telling these Pharisees and these teachers of the law. He's saying, look what you've become. You're so busy with your own stuff that you can't even celebrate these people who are coming to Jesus. You're so focused on your own, your own stuff that you forgot to invite others to experience the grace and the goodness of God. The older brother was so preoccupied with his life that he didn't even realize that his younger brother had come home. Instead of waiting in the fields doing our own thing, focusing only on our own wants and needs, we should be standing by the side of our Heavenly Father, searching for friends and family and neighbors as they come home. So a couple questions for you this morning. Will you invite others? Will you create space for people and celebrate the loss being found as if it was the biggest party of the year? What would our church look like if we acted like that? What would our community look like if we lived like that? What would happen to our faith if we focused on others like that? See, I think this is a great story for us today. 
as we enter this season, as, as Southeast, as we begin to throw a bunch of parties, as we begin to celebrate, as we begin to bring life to our community, we have to ask ourselves, why do we do these things? Do we do these things to feel good? Or do we do these things because they create an opening in the wall? They create a space and a door for us to invite others and say, hey, come on in. There is a party going on and it's way bigger than this party that we're throwing right now. It's a party that is focused on the goodness and the love of Jesus. And I want to show you what that party looks like. Come on in. What would it look like for us as people, I'm not just talking about as church, to set some different priorities in our lives? To say, I've got to make margin. I've got to make space to love people around me. To invite others to experience the goodness of the grace of God. Instead of our faith as a fortress and church as a clique. What if the gathering of God's people known as Southeast looked like one of the biggest parties around? And we said, come on, come experience this. Let me show you the grace and the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this story. God, that reminds us no matter who we are, we are welcomed home and that you celebrate us. That you welcome us home. You show us we have a role to play. You show us that we are a part of the family of God. So Father, in this moment, there are people here that are listening, that are watching today, say, I feel about as far away from God as I could possibly go. Help us right now, God, to turn around just simply look back and begin to walk back toward you. And Father, we know that you will meet us because in that space in between is found grace that draws us in, that draws us closer to you, God. Father, no matter where we are, no matter where we've been, help us to accept the grace of Jesus in this moment. Say yes. I choose to follow Jesus. God, for others of us today, as we think about this journey, this path that we're on, God, sometimes we get so focused on our own stuff. We get so focused on our journey of following Jesus that we forget that there's anybody else around us, that there's anybody else coming up the road, that there are people who haven't even begun to walk on that road yet. Help us, like the Father, to be scanning the horizon, to be looking for others, that we can reach back and say, hey, come with me. Come experience the grace and the goodness of God. Father, help us to be that church. As we enter this next season, help us to see ourselves as people of invitation, of love, of saying, come and experience something different. Help us to realize that it is good news for everyone. And help us to love our neighbors 
our family, those around us, share the good news of Jesus with them. It's your name we pray. Amen.